The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. I am Liz Cully, and I am joined by my incredible host, co-host, sometimes the host, with beautiful skin, cherub-like cheeks. This is an intro. You're glowing. Oh my. Darren Carp, everybody. On the other line, on the other side of the Zoom. Did you drink before this, Liz? What happened? Oh my God, no. Darren, I haven't had alcohol in 31 days. How's that going? Do you feel lighter? Do you feel better? Do you feel like you miss it? Are you craving it? I ate so much sugar. I've had so much, I can't stop eating gummy bears. I've had so much sugar. Oh my God, I bought those like sour patch, but like yeah. coated in the sour, sour patch kids. Like, no, well but it was like, yep. it was okay. like sour patch gummy bears, like the Haribo, but they're sour. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Delish. But it's one of those things where I know, and I'm going to say this as like a general point. I know when I eat more than 12, maybe gummy bears that my stomach is going to hurt. Like I'm fully aware of this as a grown adult yeah, that my stomach's sure. going to and yet, I can't not eat. You can't stop. 20 of them. And I don't know why I do this. It's like kind of drinking where it's like, I know if I drink too much, I'm bound to A, feel hungover, B, maybe throw up, C, feel really, really sick and depressed. And yet, that doesn't stop that me from doing it. What is that, Liz? I don't know. Well, recently, I've been upping my, well, not even. See, that's the thing. This is where you'll be so proud. I'm not even like eating weed or drinking. Like I'm not even upping my cannabis intake really. I'm proud of We're you. We're actually, you and I are going to interview some people soon who have made a cannabis product that I have been ingesting that you and I will talk oh. about. But really, I've just gone fucking sober, man. You know, and I'm proud of myself. Does that mean like February 1? I, I didn't one, lose like 20 pounds. So it's like, whatever. February 1, the day before this podcast comes <laughs> out, like you're drunk right now in this stupor when people are listening to this. Are you... No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm just going to wait. I think I'm my goal and we'll see is my goal is to either drink like a glass of wine once a week or maybe even not. I'm glad I did this. This is the first dry January I've gone through where I'm super reevaluating how much alcohol I drink. Is Rachel doing with it? Rachel doesn't even really drink. She drinks like once every few months of half a beer. What's Rachel's vice? Candy, dude. You talk about Sour Patch, Haribo. Oh, but like, but like, she's not smoking weed. Like, she's not doing anything that like alters her state of consciousness. No, once in a blue moon, she'll eat like half a gummy with me. God damn, Rachel. I know she's like Stone Cold Steve Austin over here. When did you know that you wanted to marry? Oh my God, Rachel. Oh, Darren, why are you asking me? I'm just asking as a general question. Okay. I was having this conversation with some of my friends previously. Just a conversation. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, don't be like taken into signals. I'm just asking you as a je- as a friend, okay. a friend to a friend. Was there a yeah. moment where you were like, yeah, like I'm going, like I can't not be without this person. Like, what was that thought process for you? Like, this sounds like a cis hat cheesy movie line. Look yeah. at me. Okay, wow. But I just kind of really felt like Rachel was my family. I know that sounds like cheese, and of course, everyone's like, no. You should be like out of control love. And I've said this before on podcasts. I don't know if you should be out of control though. Out of control is not good. Exactly. Right. And I've felt out of control, I think, lust and love before, but that never felt 
safe to me. And I think with Rachel, I was like, I just fucking love this person so much. And I don't want to be without like we really and I always was in the beginning. I'm like, you are not my best friend. I don't. I have my own (laughs) friends like you are my girlfriend. You are not my best friend. But now (laughs) 11 months later of being trapped inside a thousand square feet. I'm like, no, you're my best friend. That's what you're my family. Like you're my best friend. Like you want to marry your best friend, right? Like you do. All right. Just sussing it. Yeah. I just felt like also I could be my 100% true self with her. There is nothing hidden right. with her. Like yeah, zero. No, and that's like what a relief I know. that is. What a because relief. you don't think about how much you're like hiding in previous relationships until you can authentically be yourself. Like you don't realize yeah. I have a friend right now and I don't want to say any specifics over than that because she wouldn't know that I'm kind of talking about her. But I kind of have a friend where I'm looking at her relationship now, gay relationship, and I'm like, oh, you were where I was when I didn't realize that I was in a bad relationship. Like I knew subconsciously that I was in this bad relationship. But (laughs) we were all looking at you being like, oh, okay. Right, right, right. And you're all, everyone's looking at (laughs) you. And you're describing things and we're like, Right, Darren. But like at the same time, it's like you can't say anything because that person needs to, because you have to be a friend. You know, and you can say things like, here and there being like, are you sure that's what you think? Or you blah, 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 blah. But like even this person's reaction to it. And I was just like, you know, everything's so easy with Nadine. Everything feels like. Should be. It, it should it. be. Right. And it's like, oh my God, you can just like hang out with my friends and it's not a big deal. And this isn't a fight. Like I didn't realize that this is how it could be. And, you know, so I like taking a temperature check of my friends now who are in very happy, healthy relationships, at least what I can tell. And being like, all right, I'm going to see what they're thinking to balance what I'm thinking because this feels like the first time I've ever – no, not disparaging previous relationships. I'm just saying this feels like the first time I'm in a relationship where we match each other's energies and vibes and – You just kind of know. It's an unspoken thing. Right. And I think when you – you know, that – and no tea, no shade for people who get married really young. Like, no. I don't know how you did that, but good for you. But, but I to think, you. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I do think there is something to be said for having a few relationships or having your heart broken a couple of times or not or whatever to being a little bit more settled within yourself in your 30s and sometimes in your 40s or whatever sure. it is. And then meeting someone and you're like, oh, no, yeah, this is right. This, this is, is right. easy. This yeah. is right. Yeah. I mean, and listen, that doesn't mean Rachel doesn't tell Rachel will tell me what the fuck is what. I mean, that's where I also think I don't get away with anything. I'm sure you're probably similar. I got away with a lot of bullshit with a lot of people because I would just like charm them. <laughs> and you I know, think Rachel I think, is right. amused by me, but I can't like pull one over on her. I think I thought I was more charming than they thought I was. You know what I mean? And maybe that's the <laughs> side of it where it's like, I thought I was getting away with it, but I really wasn't. But just interesting, you know, like. I mean, we bicker, honestly. Yeah, but who doesn't bicker? If you're not perfect, exactly. like if you're not arguing in some sort of way, and even if it's like, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And I'm not talking about the type of fights where like, I'm watching Blink. Do you watch Blink Empire? Do we talk about this? Which Blink yes, Empire? and also for the record, everyone, I have followed Christine for fucking a bajillion years okay, so, on Instagram because she's insane. I mean, not in a bad way. I no, just but like, mean like in a the rich, wealth. I mean, it's but like crazy. That town. woman on Bling Empire, Kelly, who's dating that guy Andrew, who's like screaming at her. Right? Oh, the who's worst. The worst. And I was like, he's a sociopath. Totally, and he was a Power Ranger. 
the red Power Ranger. And I'm always like, <laughs> she doesn't see it, but I see it. And like, you make so many excuses when you're in it. Are you done with the series? We have two episodes left. Okay. All right, I'll finish. I mean, I kind of got a little more of it towards the end, but like I'm back in it now. Like the opulence really matches me. But anyway, uh, my point <laughs> is, is that you're one of my close friends that's actually married, has been married, you know, and I, I like I sort of had knew, known it. you through that. And so I just like to take a temperature check. We can go on to the news now, Liz. I just wanted oh, to yeah, see. Let's get to the news. Also, I just want to please check my calendar in advance because I, you know, really want to wear a very special outfit should there be a nuptials because Taylor Strucker, who you and I co-host with, is being such an asshole and we're not allowed to go to her wedding because she's only having family, which is really fucking irritating to me. And I really want to go to more lesbian weddings. So please just give me a heads up. You got it. No problem. I'm going to get married at Taylor Strucker's wedding just so Taylor can suck it. All right, let's get to let's get to the queue. There's a lot happening in the world. There's a lot, but like the thing but is, then we're also like a week late. That's here's the, the only thing. problem with right. this show is that it's not every day because things just happen. Like we can't talk about JoJo Siwa because it's over. And I don't want to give like depressing news either. Like okay. I don't want the cue to always be like, yo, some gay dude got beaten up at a grinder date, which is what I kind of had. So I was like, oh. I just, even though those news stories are important, mm. I'm not whitewashing over them. And I certainly don't want to bypass them. I also think there's like, I, I just don't want to always be depressing. I don't want to be the bearer of okay. bad news, even though this story. Mine were pretty depressing this week, Darren. I know. I know. We have to talk about Sophie. Icon. Yeah. An avant-garde. I would say avant-garde producer, I would say. Yeah. Producer, She's pop star. Dead at 34, unfortunately, which is our age, Awful. essentially, which is just horrible. In a terrible, terrible accident, it's sort of being called, where I think she went to go climbing, and maybe you can fill in the details for me. She went to go climbing to kind of go see the moon, kind of go see this uh, setting, and then fell, fell tragically at like 4 a.m., like this really horrible shit. Uh, I don't yeah. know where she was. I'm going to look it up. Athens, Greece. So she was living in Greece. So Sophie is a Scottish producer, really important individual. Fell from a balcony of an apartment, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, like 2018 out artist of the entire year. So yeah. definitely huge in the community. She, I guess, was climbing, yeah, out of a window and living in Greece and fell, which is just like fucking awful. Well, yeah. And right now I'm reading on Yahoo Entertainment and I'm, 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 I'm trying to piece these together. And so I'm just trying mm -hmm. to be, um, it says the visionary British musician who made history is one of the first three openly transgender women to be nominated mm -hmm. for a Grammy. And according to Pickfor Pitchfork, prefers not to use gendered or non-binary pronouns, was 34 years old. So I don't even know if transgender woman is the right term to say, but Sophie essentially made headlines uh, for making this pathway in the Grammys. Yeah. Interchangeably used from what I knew, she and yes. they perhaps. Okay. But really like worked with everyone from like Christine and the Queens. Madonna. Like Madonna. Charlie yeah. XCX, Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Like super huge. But it's also tragic. 34 years old, something like that. You know, it's Awful. just, it's a fluke accident. I remember being a kid and hearing first about, you know, I was a big Eric Clapton kid and hearing about Eric Clapton's kid. You were an Eric Clapton kid? I was an Eric Clapton kid. My parents were very big, um, blind faith, Derek and the Dominoes type of family. First of all, love Eric Clapton. I mean, I love Eric Clapton. I Tears love Eric. in Heaven, like, still. Can't well, Tears even in Heaven. To the you song. know, when I first asked my parents about Tears in Heaven, it was like, 
I know. This is it's a tragic. beautiful song, but when you're a kid, you don't realize what you're singing about. You know, and with so many songs, you don't really realize the context. And I remember talking to my parents about it, and they were like, yeah, Eric Clapton's kid like, fell out of a window in New York in New York City. And it was and then horrible. You think and it was about just it, like, it's like whoa. one of the biggest songs of the year, and you're like, oh my God. And you're jamming to it, you know, and, and, and Sophie will certainly be remembered. I mean, obviously not for that, but just like her pioneering efforts in, you know, being like kind of the first of the first, obviously super creative super young, beautiful super tragic, well. beautiful, you know, and our, our hearts are definitely going out to her family right now, but it was definitely sad to hear about that. That was not. I know. Okay. Well, do you have anything that's not sad? Cause that was one of mine that was really sad. Did you watch RuPaul's Drag Race this week? Of course I did. What do you okay. want to talk about? That Utica fucking sleeping bag outfit. I told Nadine. For I was me, like, it was the doggy bag. For me, it okay, was the doggy was, bag. Yes, fashion forward and like got Mick. Great outfits. No joke. Like went to fashion school and I hands down got Mick deserved to win. But the best comment of all time, Nicole Byer being like, Utica, you have stitched together this sleeping bag outfit in the time that Lala Ree took to, to, to glue bags together. Dead. Dead, died, great thing about gay culture. I am laughing out loud at this show. And it literally makes my, and I never watched it before. I was never, like I knew about it, but I never watched it. I had watched episodes, never full seasons, okay? So admittedly. Oh yeah, that's right. Because when we, that's right. Because Shangela, you had met through Andy. Right. Like, right, right, right. But now knowing this, okay, how was Shangela out first round? I found out that Shangela was like, Oh my God. Have you gone back into the archives and watched it though? Here's so Rachel and I were like, oh, there's nothing to watch, even though we all know that I've been talking about rewatching the L word. I'm now making her watch Sons of Anarchy. Oh, (laughs) which I I like. We watched Sons of Anarchy after L word. You and I are the same person. (laughs) It's so good. But Tara's kind of hot in it. Oh my God. I mean, Jax is very hot, but like Jax Teller's hot, but like she can get it. Tara's like, Tara can get it. She can get it. She can can get it. it. She can get it. But I came out into that into the living room the other day and I'm like, what are you watching? Go watch Shangela's first season because it's season one. The production like is so awful. She gets she gets off first round season one. She's the first contestant ever to be eliminated or season two. Yeah, 100 percent. But here's what I'll say about RuPaul's Drag Race. For those of you guys that have never watched it, which is crazy, who are listening. What a fucking little engine that could. No, you watch this. And I know I get like cheesy with work stuff like. And I had my doubts about it. It progressively when they get more of an audience, more money, like the sponsorships are so crazy. I mean, it the production just gets better. The talent is unmatched. Now, did you see last night? They did an entire branded coach episode. The thing that gets me about the show outside of the fact that, yes, I'm in television, so I know the production quality. These fucking queens, A, are hysterically funny towards each other and they can take each other, like, they can make fun of each other and, like, love each other in the same way. So that's hysterical. But they're fucking seamstresses, like, or seamsters, whatever the proper term is. They can, like, it's like Project Runway. Like, I didn't realize how fashion forward it was. Like, I didn't realize that. And that was my makeup, but, like, that is my ignorance of it. But my God. Darren, you are, so, I'm actually jealous of you because you're brand new to Drag Race. Right. You have so much content to watch because your fucking mind will blow when you start watching like more previous, like last seasons with, and the fashion keeps getting better. Like last, I mean, we could just have an entire podcast about this. And Nicole Byer, what I like about what they're doing this season, which they never did in the past, just so you know, Darren, Typically, and it's because I'm assuming because of Corona, 
typically it's a different guest judge every single episode. And then Ross and Carson will rotate. Does that make sense? And then Michelle Visage is always there. But now what they're doing with this season, and I'm assuming it's because of Corona, they're kind of like keeping uh, the guest judges more consistent. Like Nicole Byers done a couple. Nicole is so great. I'm like, I stand for her. Her comments were but. I mean, they're fantastic. Slaying. And how funny is Carson? Isn't Carson oh, the I mean, fucking he's the best, best I mean, ever was? Just like, yes. But yeah, Utica, I agree. It was hard. I, I Gottmik was fantastic and it was super fashion forward. But that doggy bag was like brain blowing. And also <laughs> Lala is just like, I mean, for those of you guys who have no idea what Darren and I are talking about, just go even on Google. As a skeptic, I will it's say, so like, funny. It, and I never watched it. I just was kind of put off by it. And it is so fucking funny. Like, it is laugh oh, yeah. out loud hilarious. This just made me think of maybe we, you and I should start a service called drag cleaning. And it's drag queens as, like, cleaning service people. Well, you now have said it on the airwaves. So Heard it here first, business. people. So, um... All right. Well, in unrelated news to tee up our next guest. So we have journalist, now writer of her first book, Gabrielle Korn on the show. And I was successful. Paper mag, auto straddle. She's currently at Netflix. I was nervous about this episode (sighs) and you will hear it in my voice. And I just want the listeners to understand why. And it's because we overlapped at work a little bit. Mm hmm. And you guys I had tea. A, you guys had tea that I wasn't privy to. I was just nervous because you know, like when you go to school with someone or you work with someone that's like definitely cooler than you, and in like a different yeah. clique, and you yeah. just want to yeah. seem cool. That's how I felt. So there. That's why I'm a weirdo. And like, even if you're 10 years out of it, you like revert back to being 16, where it's like totally. the popular kid in high school, and you're like, <sighs> what's weird about this episode is that you had kind of introduced me into her world a little bit. I was a little bit ignorant of it. And after the episode, you know, I thought I was off. You thought you were off and we were both each other. We were like, no, you were the other one was great. Thank God for you. And honestly, long story (laughs) short, she was a great guest. Both of us probably were just like, Chuck, that someone came on and was just like so successful, so well-spoken, so put together, so cool. I know. Well, and her book, her book is great. So it's called Everybody Else is Perfect. She's really raw, really honest. It's actually a fantastic episode. But yeah, we were and, nervous. And let me just say, we asked her about diversity in the workplace, but also uh, the roles, because Liz and I had talked about prom and James Corden sort of playing a gay guy who wasn't gay. And, you know, Liz and I, we had both come to the similar consensus of like, hey, it's okay. Like, play it well. Like, the role should be played as it should be written, and it doesn't really matter where you come from. Gabrielle doesn't feel that way. And she thinks that people should work harder on it. And so we got to learn actually a lot about that opinion and that side, and which was, I think, fascinating. And so it was just a great conversation. She opened her eyes up to a lot. And she's the person that when you colloquially say, do the work, she's doing the work. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. She's definitely doing the work. And she's a really important person to have in journalism. Yes. So enjoy this episode, guys. Yeah, enjoy the episode. Well, Darren, I'm very excited for this interview today on Scissoring Isn't a Thing. In fact, I'm I've never sweating. seen you so excited. We were texting about our next guest <laughs> for like five days. No shade, no shit. Like actual, like legitimate praise. Okay. We weren't being, we weren't being shady. And just like Liz's and mine, genuine excitement. To ha- we had so many questions. Like we kept bouncing back and forth. Like, ah. 
I'm verklempt, as the Jewish people would say. I'm verklempt. I'm very excited. Very excited. Well, allow me to introduce Gabrielle Korn. She is an editor and a journalist currently at Netflix. Under her guidance as the former editor-in-chief of Nylon Media, Nylon became a fully digital brand, even though I definitely still have some Nylon magazines in my, quote, keepsake boxes that my wife tells me I have to get rid of that I never will. And um, an ever-growing audience and original, politically-driven, thought-provoking content at Nylon. You graduated from NYU's Gallatin School of Individualized Study in 2011 with a concentration in feminist queer theory and writing. She lives in Brooklyn, and I believe you are engaged if I didn't stalk your Instagram for the last, like, year and a half. She's engaged. So congratulations on your engagement, and thank you so much for being a guest here on Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Now, Gabrielle, we usually start off every show, I'm not sure if you've listened just before, asking our guests how they identify. Some find it offensive, some don't. Some identify as man pig or bitch or this and that. Uh, If you don't mind, how would you identify yourself? How should we identify you if we're going to use generalizations? I'm a lesbian. (laughs) You can say that. You sound so disappointed. You're like... (laughs) Ugh, I'm a lesbian. Me too. And it does bring me so I'm just like, I guess just call me a lesbian. I'm just like a basic lesbian. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a lesbian. I'm rewatching the L word. I'm no, I didn't I didn't mean to sound disappointed. The heat is off in my apartment, and I think it's making me sound sadder than I feel. (laughs) I'm I'm cold currently. Every lesbian just do cold, dead heart. That's that's what I know. You know, we just have no feelings and we hate everything. That's that's what basic lesbians do. That's what this chapstick lesbian does for sure. You're about to release a book on January 26, 2001. Correct. I think I have the date right. Yes. Correct. Yes. Which I've read, which I finished last night in the bathtub. My back went out from stress. Don't worry about it. And I love taking a weed bath. We can talk about that offline. Um, basically, bath salts soaked in cannabis recommended to everyone. Wow. And I was sobbing and also laughing and also really feeling the feelings finishing. Everybody else is perfect. How I survived hypocrisy, beauty, clicks and likes. And one congratulations. I can't imagine Congrats. the feat of completing your first book. And I love the title. How long did it take you to come up with the title? Or was it just instant? Thank you. It actually the title came to me in the first conversation I had about potentially writing a book with my agent, um, I told her what the idea was. And that was basically that I felt like I was noticing all of these competing dualities around me. There was like the new feminist woke branding of like women's empowerment. And then there was the reality of the fact that the issues women faced weren't getting any better. And um, I was trying to describe or like find a way to encapsulate that. And what I realized was that we were being told to say everybody is perfect as they are. And what I think a lot of us meant when we said that was everybody is perfect but me. And I was like, oh, I think I think that's the title. I feel that for sure. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a lot there's kind of a lot of background that I want to get into, including like the hypocrisy and getting over likes, because with social media nowadays, like I can't tell if that's bettering people or making people worse, especially within even just an insular community like the lesbian community. But just to get a little background on you, Liz, I'm kind of taking this question from you. But can you describe for our audience 
how you came out when you first realized that you were a basic lesbian uh, and, and what that process was like. <laughs> yeah, I officially came out as a lesbian when I was 19, um, but it was something that Same. was really always with me. Like I, I knew that I liked girls. I just didn't think that it was valid because I didn't know any lesbians. I mean, I, later I realized I did as like my friends came out in our 20s. <laughs> but like at the time when I was growing up, it was like there was no representation. There, there was no one to look up to in any way. So I was kind of like, oh God, there's something really wrong with me. I like girls and no one's ever going to like me back. And like, I just need to just put this in a box and close the box and put the box away. So it was like, I was aware of it and also not aware that it was my identity until I, <laughs> um, the summer between my freshman and my sophomore years of college fell for my roommate who was a lesbian and she was my first girlfriend. And it was like five days after we moved in together, we had our first kiss. And then the next day I was like, I'm gay. I'm like, <laughs> changed it on Facebook. I, you know, you graduated in 2011. I graduated in 2010. We're the same age. I grew up in Northern New Jersey. You grew up in Long Island, I believe. So in terms of at least location, similar upbringings and stuff, but definitely same generation and, and Liz as well, but and and I came out when I, know, I was nineteen. I'm like, what am I? I mean, I'm no, definitely I mean, but older you're, than you're you West guys. Coast, you're West Coast, sweetie. No, it's different. You're West. It is very different. Um, but I came out when I was nineteen as well. And it's interesting when you say that you didn't think it was valid because, like, growing up, if you were to ask me, like, who is a gay person, I would be like Ellen DeGeneres, Rosie mm-hmm. O'Donnell. Like, so I did see these people, but for me, I didn't realize like even though I knew that they were lesbian, that like that also qualified me as one. Would you say that? Like, what kind of representation did you think that we needed and why not them at that time? I felt like that too. It felt really separate from me. And even though there were lesbians that I could have pointed to, they weren't like cool or hot. And when you're a teenager, (laughs) those are the two most important things you can be. So true. You know, and it was like, I don't want to be that. Like, it's not like they were treated kindly in pop culture. It's not like they were treated with respect. It was like they were the butt of jokes, even though they were out and famous and working. It was like, oh, you're a lesbian, like you're Ellen, you know, (laughs) like, right, right. That that was all there was. Literally, people look at my wife to this day, and we always know when someone's probably homophobic, but trying to be polite. It's typically older women will tell my wife that she reminds them of Alan. She has like short hair. It's classic. And we always like give a nod. We're like, "Mm," (laughs) you know, but it's interesting that we kind of not necessarily think of it as a negative, but I think you're right. It almost feels like it's separate or it's different or it's but did did kissing your roommate for the first time, because I kind of had that thing too, or it was like the acknowledgement of another person recognizing that they're also attracted to women gave me the confidence to be out. Was that really all that it took? Was it going, being away from your parents? Like describe your kind of maybe being not closeted. I don't want to say that you're closeted, but maybe being like not gay forward facing to now like, I'm gay, I'm an A plus gay, hear me roar. Like, how did that transition for you? Yeah, well, a few things. It was not my first kiss with a girl. Um, when I was 16 at a slumber party, we were playing Truth or Dare and <sighs> me and my best friend made out and I had obviously been really in love with her. And she like, I will never forget 
she pulled away and said, ew, and wiped her mouth. And we that never killed me when I read that, it. by the way. There was lots of moments that really pulled on my heartstrings, but it, that was it one of them. me too, because I, it, there was so much buildup to it right. for me <laughs> and it disgusted her. But then with my roommate, it was like, oh, this is something you want to like, this isn't me being creepy. Cause that's how I felt. Like right. I just felt creepy all the time, but then I had someone who liked me, who I liked and it was like a switch flipped and it was like the box opened up and my identity felt like it became integrated as a whole. And it took only a few months really for me to become an A plus gay and like to get super involved in the community and my sophomore year, my roommate, who was someone random, turned out to also be gay. And so she and I like could like go to things together and like make friends. And like I got a gay job and started studying women's studies. And um, within a few years had like rearranged my entire life around this thing. Well, and that's what was interesting to read. I mean, can I call it a memoir? It felt like a memoir. Yeah. Well, I felt like I really got to know you, I should say. Um, so thank you for that. But it did feel like you kind of flipped this switch. And and some people do that when they come out. And we've talked to many, Darren and I have talked to many people where they're like, yeah, it happened. It came out and my whole life changed. Or as you just eloquently and so beautifully said, it almost felt like everything kind of came together. I'm paraphrasing. But you did go from like zero to 100 real quick, as I would say. Like you, I love the moment in the book where you describe going... I believe to like a student NYU gay club and you're like, no one's talking to me and I don't feel that gay. But then you kind of describe cutting your hair and doing all of these things. What were you looking to or what was the North Star of gayness that you were kind of on the on the train going towards? Like, was it your friends or was it was it a celebrity or a musician? Like what was influencing you at that time? It's so embarrassing because this was like 2008, but it was the L word. So I think a lot of people, the L word was really, really important to kind of understanding lesbian culture. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, totally. And I had this vision of myself having a group of friends that looked like that. And I showed up to this like NYU LGBTQ event and everybody already knew each other because they had all become friends during like freshman orientation. And I went with such high expectations and I left in tears because nobody talked to me. And I was just like, why are they so clicky? Like, what is wrong with me? I I'm so deeply uncool. Like they all had like haircuts and piercings and sports bras. And I, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Darren is always in a sports bra. It kills me. I know. Comfortable. What do you fucking want? It's comfortable. I mean, I fully don't wear a bra anymore. That's been like the only blessing of this time. But anyway, (laughs) so I eventually did find a group of friends and had the privilege of like rolling around 20 girls deep to everything I went to at a certain point. But it's not something that I have at this point in my life, because I think in a lot of ways, there was something really superficial about that need. Like I needed or I thought I needed to be surrounded by as many queer people as possible instead of really having like good one-on-one friendships with any of them. I just had this huge group. And so that in a very natural way fell apart as I got older. I'm curious because a lot of our guests, we talk about sometimes how like 
Yes, there's definitely discrimination and misogyny, especially towards lesbians outside of the gay community. But even within the community, there's a lot of policing that goes around and and cliques and groups. And sometimes it's like our, you know, Liz, who's who identifies as bisexual. We often talk about bi erasure and how people are like, mm-hmm. just choose a side. And we're like, that's not really what being bisexual is. <laughs> like, she doesn't have to choose a side. Like, that's the point. But I do find sometimes that it's like, you're not gay enough or, you know, you're too gay. And there's there's all these things. Was there ever a time, even with that, where you felt like your queerness, like you had to change your queerness to fit into that group? Because I think a lot of people are like, you, you come out and all automatically you're accepted by everyone. But like, and certainly in New York, I talked to a lot of my gay guy friends and they're like, if you don't have six pack abs, like good luck on Grindr. And I'm like, really? Like that's, that's what we're looking at here. So there's just a lot of judgment within our community. And did you find that you had to change your queerness for that and to fit in more? I didn't have to change my queerness. I felt like I had to change how I looked and For many, many years, I was constantly changing how I looked, trying to fit in on like, I shaved my head, I shaved parts of my head, my hair has been every color. I, for college and for the first years of my 20s after college, I appeared very androgynous. And I felt like I had to do that in order to be recognized by queer people. And in a lot of ways, it was true. I I was visibly queer and it made it a lot easier to meet people, but I also started to feel like it wasn't sending the right message about who I am. And like, I mean, I am so feminine and I've always been so feminine. And I think that that's a really important part of me. And it was so hard to reconcile how I looked or like how I wanted to look and how people reacted to me and the messages I was communicating to people. And like, I would, I would like bring girls home and they would see my makeup and they'd be like, oh my God, like you're such a girl. And I'd be like, did you not understand that I'm a girl? And I I would like get misgendered. Like people would call me sir at a certain point and it never, it never felt right. And so it really wasn't until I, I became a beauty editor when I was 24 and started like playing with make, makeup again that I was like, oh yeah, like I can just be myself and it's fine. And it actually doesn't matter how people read me because I'm a fully formed human and like I know my own truth. What do you attribute that to though in maybe even in just specifically lesbian lesbian culture or lesbian community, whatever the word is, what do you attribute that like you have to look a certain way type of thing in order to get recognized. Do you think it's like doubling down on something? What do you, what do you think? I mean, I think lesbians are imperfect just like everybody else. Right. I think there's a certain amount of fantasy about what happens in a community without men. And I just don't think it's true. Like we don't exist in a vacuum. We still have impossible standards that we hold ourselves and each other to. And we still are affected by the stereotypes about us. Yeah. So I think- Yeah, it's like some people don't assume that a feminine woman is straight. And most people do. Like, I actually find that at this point in my life, straight people can tell that I'm queer more often than gay people can. So like, I just, I just give up. Well, and I think, you know, (laughs) you know, I feel a lot of similarities to you in the sense that, I mean, I, you know, God, I worked for huge beauty companies and I've always loved hair and makeup and I have like a whole vanity set up and people are always like, what the hell is this? I'm like, (laughs) Sephora, (laughs) welcome, you know, because there's nails are 10 inches long. You have Jackie Joyner cursing nails long. They're small. 
<laughs> but, you know, I think what you're kind of talking about and uh, is something that I really identify with. And when I came to Los Angeles from San Francisco, I thought it was literally going to be the L word. I was like, oh, this is like, where's the planet? AKA it's the Abbey, which is a disgusting cesspool of hell. But I felt a lot of, I don't know, maybe that I, I felt like I wasn't being taken seriously by some lesbians because I was so feminine and trendy and was really into fashion. So I felt a lot of that pressure to kind of explain my queerness, I think, in a lot of circumstances because I was so feminine. But it's interesting, you know, I want to transition a little bit to your time in media as a fashion and beauty editor, because, you know, it sounds like once you got that job or started working, I believe at Refinery, maybe after Autostraddle, which is a fantastic queer lesbian publication for those that are listening. Did you feel like you were coming out every day? Like, did you feel, I, it, it sounds, it's an interesting thing for me to hear you say that's when you kind of abandoned this idea of needing to look queer. Did you feel like you were assimilating? I don't know what was going on for you at that time kind of in women's lifestyle media? I mean, it was a really weird time in my life because I was still really involved in grassroots activism. I was like helping organize the New York City Dyke March and then going to work at Refinery29 where I was the only lesbian in the editorial department. And because of that, and because I was so vocal about it and did so much writing about queer representation, I kind of became everyone's go-to lesbian. And people would come to me for things like sources on stories because they didn't know any lesbians they could reach out to. And I was like asked to start modeling for the site because they needed to have like a queer person in the mix. So I was like at once tokenized and at the same time, like given opportunities because I was the only of my community. So um, it was very strange and very isolating and lonely. And I felt like I didn't really have people on either end because like my activist community didn't really understand what I was doing and why. And I felt really illegible to my new work community. And um, it was like this constant thing where I would like meet people at press events and, you know, like all the ridiculous lunches and dinners you have to go to. And it would be like everyone talking about their boyfriends and their husbands. And I would have to have kind of like a constant conversation with myself about like, okay, do I just chime in about my girlfriend or do I just like go along with it? Like, yeah. do I make them feel uncomfortable because they assumed or like, should I do everything I can to make myself not feel uncomfortable? And it was just like, it was so stressful for a really long time until finally I reached a point where I was like, I don't fucking care. Like, <laughs> it's not my problem if you make assumptions. Well, the interesting thing about what you just said to me is like, on the one hand, you're becoming tokenized and it's like, oh, we need a lesbian opinion today. So let's go to the one lesbian we know, you know, like, you know, she she can speak up for, for the whole thing. But on the other hand, you did get more opportunities maybe with the fact that you spoke up than maybe you wouldn't have if you were a straight female from Long Island, you know, and, and whatever. Like, is there a problem or how do you square sometimes a, a, a sexual identity also giving you an advantage sometimes? Like, is there any sort of dichotomy there that you're like, I don't want to be known for being gay, but at the same time, I kind of also do. First of all, I feel like your second podcast needs to be called Dichotomy. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's the name yeah. of this title of this show, Liz. Put it down. 
Wait, got, no, I want to. Sh- I want to start a show on that god awful social media account, Clubhouse. You, we, all three of us can have a oh dichotomy. Uh, well, we will do a dichotomy. Yes, yes, let's do it. There you um, go. <laughs> back to your question. I mean, it's a very interesting thing to be technically part of a minority, but also like be white because I feel like the people I was working for got away with feeling like they were achieving diversity by putting me forward. But right. at the end of the day, I actually wasn't that different from everyone else they were giving that opportunity to. And I felt really different, but I think, I mean, I wasn't like in hindsight, I wasn't, I, my hair was shorter, but other than that, like I was still a skinny white girl. And I, I remember <laughs> I didn't, didn't put this in the book, but I had this conversation with someone and he was like, you, we want you on camera because you're a triple threat. And I was like, Oh God, like, what do you think my three things are? And he yeah. was like, <laughs> like you're you're good at your job you are cute and you're a minority and I was like I feel uncomfortable <laughs> right right like, like is it is it it's meant as a compliment is it like but also you're like yeah. checking off his box I mean I think right. you know we right. to be honest with you Darren a and statistic. I even talk about the fact that it's important for us to have all different types of people on our show, not just even gay, white, cis males who typically check off the queer box, right? Like we have all different people on the show because I think sometimes we're like, fuck, well, we're two white women. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we're queer, but we have, to your point, yes, we are a part of the minority, but we've also probably, you know, experienced a lot of privilege that a lot of other people that are in minority groups have not. So that's interesting, but also not surprising that that happened, you know? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but people also think that like, it's mostly men saying this. I mean, I, I, and I, and I don't, I don't want to get anyone in trouble specifically, but like, I know plenty of women that are just as homophobic slash misogynistic towards gay women as men are. This isn't specific to men in any sort of way. Oh, no, of course. And it's like, it's for me, it's so much more devastating when it comes from women. Right. Because it's like, I I expected better than better from you. But then it's like, I don't know why I expected more from you. Because like, women are just as bad as men are, honestly. We're just all individually people, you know, like anyone can be bad, you know, like lesbians are flawed just like any other community, but you know. Yeah. What I really loved in the book is that we, I felt like we got a whole picture of you, right? Like you're not just a queer woman or a lesbian woman, you know, you're not just a fashion editor, you're all of these things and have lived a very experienced and interesting life. Ageism really comes up in the book, which I think is really interesting. You were editor-in-chief of Nylon at such a young age. However, maybe we shouldn't keep saying... What I learned in your book was like, maybe we should stop saying that. You mentioned talking about merit and performance increases, not only of your own, but then when you were flipped on the other side and had a team and young men and women would come to you and you would be talking to them about raises and you're like, and I think to paraphrase you, you said, you know, you really tried to not talk about age because it was something that, you know, you didn't love as you were kind of um, rising up the ranks. But at the end of the day, we do, we do think about age and experience. You're still in your young 30s and you've accomplished so many things do you still now that you're into a new 
role and a new kind of life and you've written a book, does age still haunt you a little bit since you are, I think, very young? In comparison, I, in comparison, I don't think anyone would think that like editor in chief of this amazing magazine would be in their early to mid 20s, not because they couldn't, just because in history's past, that probably wasn't right. the case. You know, it didn't come up at all in my conversations with Netflix about my current job. And it was like, it was just so nice to be yeah. treated like a professional adult whose experience could speak for itself. Like right. I, I felt like I didn't have to prove myself in the same way that I did when I was in my twenties, because I have a body of work to show for it. And I think that is something that comes with time. But I think in the case of being a young editor in chief, what was so hard about that was that like, I was doing the same job that someone would have had to do regardless of what their age was, but I wasn't paid like an editor in chief should right. have been paid. And when I had conversations with my boss about it, he was like, you're so young. Why do you need that kind of money now? This is the time. Get for that all the time. Yeah, yeah, he was like, you should be focusing on like your title and working hard and your reputation and like the money will come. And I was like, so what you're saying is you're saving like several hundred thousand dollars on me. <laughs> like, right. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing is just for anybody that is listening that is in any type of power to bestow titles, titles don't mean shit. They don't cost you a goddamn thing. So stop giving me a fucking title in exchange for money. No, totally. Clearly that hits home for me. Anyway, I, I saw on your Instagram recently that you, I think probably once you took the job at Netflix, you kind of said that you were done with fashion media. But I read that and I was like, God, lucky her. God <laughs> damn it. But are you done with like fashion media, you think? I think I'm done. I never felt like I fit in in fashion. And there's just something so toxic about it. And like, I know objectively that it's because all of these people came up together and I came to it kind of later and blah, blah, blah. But like, I just, and I also think the problem is that like, I don't care that much about fashion. Like I really like clothes, but that is very different from liking fashion. I just, I don't believe in the industry the way you need to, to work as hard as you need to work to be successful. Like, I think, I think the fashion industry is so incredibly irresponsible in every single way that you can be irresponsible and unethical from like the effects on the climate to labor violations, like to just like this culture of excess that it promotes. So like not working in it has been a gift. Like I just fashion week or like whatever fashion week was in COVID last year, like came and went and I was like, la la la, I don't have to go. <laughs> and it was so amazing. I work at Bravo and I also work at People. So TV is kind of my thing. And I read uh, a review that you did of the show Gentleman Jack. And I texted Liz about it because I was like, I'm going to ask Gabrielle, uh, Gentleman Jack. I got to ask her about it, like when it's coming back. And I really, I really liked your critique on it, which wasn't necessarily like, is it the best show on television? No, but it doesn't really have to be. It represents this sort of different type for certainly Ann Lister to be as kind of open as one can be in, you know, the 1800s and doing that. But listen, we graduated at the same time when you and I graduated, L word had ended. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, look at Bravo. The only one at Bravo who was like an open lesbian was this woman, Tabitha Coffee. 
And 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 you know she's not. For the not, record, uh, I would have boned Tabitha Coffee. Who wouldn't bone Tabitha? But that's not the point. The point is, is that like it's a gay network with not a lot of diverse gay representation. Obviously, it has gay people on it. I'm just saying that like it's interesting that you know now Bronwyn of the of OC has come out as lesbian, and, and I'm sure we're going to get more. But in the positive spin of the past decade of not being able to get married to now being it being okay to get married, God willing, uh, it stays that way. How have you seen media really changed for the better in what you've seen as a lesbian woman, as a queer, as a person who's representing queerness? I think that there was no representation and now there is some representation. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you don't even see it being like, okay, like, I mean, it's a slow process. It's not, change never happens overnight. But like, are you proud of how it's changed or do you mostly say this should be better already? Both. I mean, there was, someone tweeted an image of like all of the lesbian couples from TV in 2020 and they were all white. And mm-hmm. I feel like if we haven't represented multiple races in our representation of lesbians, we have failed. And yeah. like, that's honestly how I feel. And also looking at all those people, almost none of the actresses are queer in real life. So it's like, it almost feels to me like the entertainment industry has realized that they can profit off of our stories. And the benefit we get is that we get to see our stories, but it doesn't really go deeper than that. It's not like queer people are getting paid to tell those stories. And Liz, you know, from my book, like I really like money and I think it's really important. (laughs) That is why... I'm telling you now, while I fumble through this interview, because I'm obviously there's so many things I want to say that I can't, and I'm a little nervous, we gonna be friends. Yes. I <laughs> like it too. Who yeah. doesn't? And uh, like, we are an underpaid group, like statistically. So it doesn't make me feel any better to know that like these straight white women are making, you know, acting money to tell stories about us. I actually, I brought this up to Liz. Liz, I think this was a few weeks ago because an an article at NBC had just come out and I wanted to get Liz's take when we were doing our cue. It's like, can, because prom came out on Netflix and James Corden happens to play this caricature of what a gay man in middle America looks like to the rest of the world. What did you think of that? Uh, Even though, you know, you can like James Corden. And what do you think about straight people playing or anybody playing something on TV or on film that they aren't in real life as a rule? I think that someday I would love to work on the content side and be involved in casting decisions because I think that it is so important to have queer people in queer roles. And I think unless queer people are being cast in straight roles at the same rate that straight people are in queer roles, it's unethical. I agree. It's it's hard. It's not a black and white answer. And I think there's a lot of nuances in it, but I think it comes back to representation. And I think I'd love to actually see the tweet that you talked about with all of the lesbian couples of 2020. But like, if we're not seeing what's representative of real life, I think that's when it can become quite problematic. You know, and then of course, you always want the best actor to play the role, right? But then at the same time, like, what's that fine line where we need to actually give people the opportunity to play the roles that again, you you mentioned people are profiting from. Yeah, and like the best person for the thing is an argument that I feel like 
people use a lot to justify not looking hard enough. Like for example, nylon, I was other than our like HR finance person, I was the only woman running a department. And there was a moment in time when my boss was like, he had this guy that he wanted to bring on and he wanted to like create an art director role for him. And I was like, you know, I think he's great, but I think you need to think about how many men you're putting into leadership roles at this women's media company. And he said, well, I think he's the best person for the job. And I was like, you know, have you listed the job? How many people have you interviewed? Like what, how are we measuring who the best person for the job is? And it was a hard conversation, but it was a really productive one because it's like, I feel like that's such a go-to for people And it takes a lot of work to find the best person for the job. And it takes a lot of intention to make sure that you are looking in places that other people don't think to look. And I mean, it's a hiring question that I think people face all the time. And it's like, I think you just have to be really honest about how you're finding people, where you're looking. Like, even if you're hiring interns, like, are you posting the internship listing in places where there are students of color or are you posting it like at NYU where it's like mostly rich white kids? I mean, I think about it a lot. Yeah, no, I think that's really fair. Well, it's interesting you talking about hiring, something again that struck me in the book. And then actually on our very, very first episode of Scissoring Isn't a Thing, we had my dear friend Tess Holiday as our first guest. And we talked about you. Yes, we did. And we talked about her cover, which was shot in Puerto Vallarta, which Darren and I were talking about Puerto Vallarta this morning with all the crazy fucking gays going down to Puerto Vallarta. With no masks, but it's fine. No masks, but that's fine. And she spoke about how that was really the first place that she talked about her queerness and that she felt comfortable to do so. And, you know, after her breakup with her last, with her husband or her ex-husband and you know, obviously we've been personal friends for a long time. So I knew what a big deal it was, but it was great for her to discuss it um, with us on air. And it felt like to me in that conversation, and then again, reading your book while you were editor in chief, that you really cultivated sets specific. So on set, for instance, if it was a woman of color, you made sure to have people of color, hair, makeup, wardrobe, et cetera. If it was a queer person, you made sure to hire sets accordingly. Were you doing that not only one to make the guest feel comfortable, but was it also so that you could show kind of what you just spoke about that you do need to dig a little bit deeper and that you can cultivate sets if you just work a little harder than quote the best person for the job? Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad that you know about that because it it was a lot of work, but it didn't feel right to be creating images and stories about people without having people from their community helping with it. It became something else if we didn't have women of color doing a shoot featuring a woman of color. Like I I didn't want the diversity to be superficial. I wanted it to be really holistic and it really meant a lot to people. And it made the days like just so much more rewarding when people like felt seen and felt like they were surrounded by their own people. It obviously wasn't always possible to have like a hundred percent match, but um, most of the time it was. And it just, it was always worth it to like go the extra mile to find queer people and people of color to help create the images and tell the stories and even write the stories. And with Tess, like I actually 
I didn't know that she was going to come out to me when I decided that I was going to write the story. Just, it was so amazing and um, I think powerful for both of us that she felt comfortable doing that and that she like trusted me to tell her story. And I, I hope that it's because she had a positive experience with the crew we brought on in general. It is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, say it. Yeah, I would me. think that it would be. <laughs> I'm wondering how you think, given the fact that all three of us are cis women, how you think that what you've learned now at 3132, what would you tell your 2122 self, kind of this freshly sort of out woman who also wants to be in media, which is all, what all three of us really do, but in our in our, in our gender, in our sex, like what's something that women themselves either can do better or need to look out for, um, for any of the 20 somethings that might be listening right now? Well, how much time do I have with my former (laughs) (laughs) I would tell her that even though it feels like my sexuality is the most important thing about me, that it's not, it's like one piece of the pie and it's not what is the most important thing to other people either. I think I felt so othered and was so paranoid about feeling othered that it felt like the defining thing. And I think in hindsight, it wasn't like, for example, my first job out of college was editing a women's journal that was published in the basement of of an abortion clinic. And I got in trouble for wearing shorts to work. And it was summer. It was a thousand degrees outside. I was wearing like cute little like suit shorts. And um, my boss came into my office and yelled at me and made me feel totally embarrassed. And I was convinced that she was saying my shorts were inappropriate because of my leg hair. And in hindsight, it was just inappropriate to wear shorts to a women's health center. Like, I, I was just looking for homophobia and I think it sometimes was there and it sometimes wasn't there. And, um, I wish that I could tell myself to just like chill out. (laughs) Do you think sometimes like people do look for thing, like they do ascribe, it's like, oh, you're not hiring me because you're homophobic. Whereas it might just be that I wore the wrong outfit or gave a bad first impression, or maybe I'm not as talented and as great as I think that I am. I mean, What's that line of saying, like, this is fucking homophobic? Sometimes it's clear, and I understand that. But when when it's blurred like that, how do you know? And, like, what's the best for the individual to handle it from there? Yeah, I don't know. I think it just comes from, like, being in the world and having experiences. And I think if, I mean, really, like, if I were to give my former self advice, I kind of feel like I had the career stuff under control. Like, I wouldn't really change that much. What the advice I would give myself would more be about, like, the people I was dating. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) We've all been there. Lord have mercy. (laughs) I'm like, "Mm -hmm." the things that I accepted in terms of how people treated me are so Fucking ridiculous. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Absolutely, you are. All right. Give us an example. When I was in college, I started hooking up with a girl who um, made me keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah, well, we've all been there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're all like, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I actually meant to follow up when you kissed that girl in the sleepover when you were 16 in Truth or Dare, and she was like, ew, gross. A, did you continue to be friends with her? B, did, she, did you ever come out to her? Like, have you ever spoken to her since? Like, what was the follow-up to that? Does she know that that was so hurtful to you? 
Yeah, I mean, she she just married her girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god, shut up. Oh yeah, that's I right. mean, as like a put that in a fucking gift for me. God yeah. damn, that was great. Okay. Yeah. So I think our friendship kind of faded out naturally by the end of high school, mostly because I couldn't stand how jealous I was of her boyfriend. And then we reconnected in our mid-20s and she reached out to me and was like very insistent that we get brunch and like really like stuck to the plans. And I was like, oh God. And um, and then she came out to me and she had known I was gay from like social basically. And we didn't talk about it, didn't talk about it, didn't talk about it. Like it being what happened between us. And then a few months ago, I just like, because she's in the book, I sent right. her like a screenshot of the paragraph and I was like, heads up. <laughs> and um, And she was like, I'm so sorry that I was such a monster. And I was like, thank you. Was, did, she, did she say that maybe it was because she was trying to double down and not think that she was gay? Like she was trying to be like, oh, ew, gross. Cause like, I'm, I have my own internalized homophobia about this. I mean, is that her explanation of what was going down back then? Did she ever explain? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I should like speak for her and her experiences, but there was a lot of self-awareness there. And we are back in each other's lives as friends. And it's really nice. It's um, really beautiful. She, yeah. And I have one other person who was a best friend when I was growing up who's gay. And the the two of them are basically the only people that I talk to from my childhood. And it's like having close adult lesbian friends who have known me my whole life is like, there's nothing better than that, really. I mean, you talk about so much in this book, everything from all the things that we covered today. You also talk about body image and, you know, something that really struck me is this idea of the toxicity of women putting themselves down, especially in the workplace and how it almost fields this pack mentality of all of us putting each other down, but that that's really acceptable as opposed to all of us kind of bringing each other up or uh, acknowledging our accomplishments. Do you think that's getting any better? Do you think it's the same? What are your thoughts there? That re- I like circled that paragraph that really resonated with me. Thank you. I would like to think it's getting better, but I don't know. Like I left women's media because <laughs> of all of those reasons. Like it just becomes such a Petri dish. And for me, one of the hardest things about it was that like you're really rewarded for being skinny in all female environments. Like the skinnier I got, the more attention I got and the more successful I was. And then I was diagnosed with anorexia and had a medical team telling me that I needed to eat more or else. But I was like, why should I do that when like I'm getting noticed for the first time in my life? And it was so confusing and so hard to separate and to identify that culture as toxic. Yeah. Like I knew it was, and I didn't know it was because I had fallen into that trap. And I, I think now it's different. Like, and I mean, it even, it became different when I became editor in chief because I built a team from the ground up and was managing 20 people, all of whom I hired. And I was really, really careful to make sure that all of those people were well-versed in the language of like fat acceptance and body positivity so that I wouldn't be bringing that energy in. And it made a huge difference in everyone's day-to-day. Like it was that period of time that I like fully recovered 
from an eating disorder. But like, I think it's really important to note that eating disorders don't happen out of context. Like you don't just like catch anorexia on the subway. Right. You catch it because you are surrounded by opinions and by you're treated a certain way and you have a certain reaction to it. And I think for so many of us, it, the toxicity of media, like we take it out on ourselves and we think we have to be a certain size and look a certain way. And it's like, it's just this mythology that we all buy into, even while knowing it's bad, like even while knowing that like the beauty myth is a thing, we're still like participating in it. Yeah, I I agree. A a good friend of mine and whatever, I'll say it on the podcast. I never hold back. But a friend of mine said to me the other day, she's like, Liz, I don't understand. When is it ever going to be enough for you? Like the working out or the dieting or the whatever. And I was like, girl, it's never fucking enough. It, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't know. Maybe that's where I am right now in, in this, but I'm like, I don't know. I've had nutritionists call me an orthorexia. You know what I mean? They're like, mm, have you been on every diet? You know, I'm like, yeah, I know. And I think that what's interesting is gay, straight, it doesn't matter. I think as a woman, in particular, as a woman in media and media entertainment, it hit me because I'm like, wow, I never thought of it that way in the sense that we're all talking about it all the time, even casting directors and whatever. Yeah, sure. We almost expect that kind of behavior, but then we all privately talk about it or not so privately talk about it to each other, especially at work. And so that I thought that was really interesting that you brought that up. Thank you. And I feel like that is like the heart of the book is like the disconnect between the images that we as content creators are making on behalf of other people and then the standards we still apply to ourselves. And like, it is still a struggle for me. Like it's different now, but it's like, I still work out every day. Like I'm still on zoom looking at my face being like, do I need to just like lift my cheeks up? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I was talking to Wallace, my fiance about it. And I was like, I think when we move to LA, like I'm going to get Botox and like, maybe I'll get like my lips even out. Cause like my top lip is uneven. And she was like, please don't. Wallace was like, wouldn't you rather like have the person who loves you, like want your face to stay the same? And I was like, well, like, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. The answer is yes to you. And let me think about it privately. No, it's hard. Before we get to our final thing, which is scissor me this, I just want to know in your opinion, what do you think that first step for women can be? Like, as we notice, maybe we're looking in the mirror. Should we change our cheeks? Should we change my eyebrows? My tongue is this, my legs are this. What's that first, what's that first line of defense for us? Do you think that maybe we could all use a healthy dose of maybe? Therapy. Yeah. Real talk. You're looking at two ladies, right? Darren and I are I'm I'm married to a therapist. All about therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone needs to go to therapy. I think that we have lost the ability to take care of ourselves culturally and that's fine like outsource it outsource all the shit that's what they get paid to do yeah i love that all right well on a fun note want to play scissor me this darren let's let's, yeah let's do uh this is just a rapid fire queer nonsense like bullshit game can we just play for just for fun questions to end on a really positive note what is one outfit that you'd wear the rest of your life every day oh i think it would be like a very soft t-shirt dress with my blundstones. What is dead or alive the best lesbian bar in New York City? There's not that many left. We don't have a lot yeah. left, unfortunately. 
You can bring Brooklyn in. Wait, too. wait. Do you remember Ruby Fruit, Gabrielle? Do you remember Ruby Fruit? Fortunately, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that Ginger's is the best yeah. lesbian bar. I think that Cubby Hole is not big enough to be considered a bar. I don't care what anybody says. It's also transitioned to be a. It's a gay, it's a gay man bar. bar. You know, but it's a gay oh, man really? specific bar now. Like it has totally moved into like before. I want to see like six years ago. I'd go into Cubby. 90% women, 90% queer women, I'd assume, I guess, is the assumption there. Now it's 90% gay men. I hate that. I mean, my my jam was really Wednesday nights at Metropolitan when I was young. Did you ever do Wednesday nights at the Woods? Yeah, I did. And I always felt like I was the wrong demographic to be there. And it just I get made that. me, I'm just not like a fedora lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you either have to be like wearing a fedora or attracted to someone into a, in a fedora to get in the door. Yeah, that Fair sounds about right. Um, <laughs> you can choose one medium for the rest of your life, Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. Is there an option to choose none of them? Yeah. Absolutely. That's always my option. Like, here's, here's what I want for myself. My new goal is to be successful enough to get off social media. Yes, yes. it is. Yes. Thank you. See, this is why I'm bad at social media, Liz. I'm just trying to retire early. I'm trying to retire early. Yeah. What was the last thing you binged on Netflix? I got halfway through Bridgerton and then gave up. Is it really not? I just don't care enough about cum. Hmm. Do how? What are my thoughts on cum? I never thought about that. All right. (laughs) What is Bridgerton about? Semen. Okay, it's just semen. Okay, yeah, I have have less interest in semen. I don't mind cum necessarily, but sorry, you're right. I misspoke. I misspoke. Yes, semen's not your game. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, last one for me. Worst person on social media that you can't stop following. Ooh, I am actually really good at not hate following people. So I don't think I can answer this. I'm sorry to be that person. You're but too involved I think that's a good for answer. this game. She's evolved. She's, she's a professional. Yeah. She's a former EIC. <laughs> this is how you get ahead by being really professional. God and Darren, you and yeah. I, <laughs> we're in the depths of doom scroll hell over here. Well, I just, no, the truth is that I was like hate following a lot of people and like sending their posts to my friends to be like, LOL, can you believe this person? And then I got so paranoid that I was going to do it wrong and accidentally send it to the person I was talking about that I was like, I'm just going to like unfollow and like remove myself from this. Smart. I think that's smart. I actually did a cleanse. Speaking of triggering and like all of the things we've kind of been discussing, I unfollowed a lot of people that I don't know that I followed because I think I was just deeply like jealous or envious of their lives or their bodies or the way they looked or whatever it was. And I just decided to unfollow. But I love like a weird like Benny drama follow. Like that's where I'm at with <laughs> Actually, social media. Actually, you know what? I take back everything I just said. <laughs> I I follow the something Navy girl. I knew oh you were going to say that. I almost God. said something Navy. Literally when Liz was like, oh, I feel bad to unfollow because our friend Taylor Strecker, she's like, I can't fucking follow that something Navy girl. It pisses me off too much. I too much. Wow. Okay. Like yes. I had to fo- unfollow like Stephanie Gotlieb or whatever her, like ring concierge, like all those girls from New York. I had to unfollow. Yeah. No, I was jealous. I wanted nothing but Chanel bags and massive diamond rings. And I wanted to be constantly on vacation and only traveling on a PJ. I said it and I unfollowed them all because 
that was that. Yeah. Nylon shared an office with an influencer agency. Oh, I, re- I know. Right. <laughs> so I got a lot of dirt on influencers from my like office mates. And what really came to light was how miserable all those people are and how toxic and hard it was to be them. And I feel really bad saying this, but it was helpful for me to learn that like, they're just as tortured as the rest of us. And like, there's something about being paid to post images of yourself that like creates this like downward spiral that they were all kind of trapped in. So I like never started following those people in the first place, but there's something about the something Navy person where I just like, I'm just so fascinated. And I know that this is not amazing, but I like reading the comments and seeing what people say about how she looks, because I feel like there was a moment in time when everyone was like, you look amazing. And now it's like everyone saying, we're so concerned about you. And for whatever reason, I'm like very addicted to following that conversation. Hmm. I I couldn't agree more. And sometimes it's just good to admit it. Sometimes it's just nice to have a little schadenfreude and it's okay. And we're all human and goddamn, we're just basic lesbians trying to get a nut out here. And that's all. That's it. We hate semen, but we love cum. And with that, Gabrielle Corn, thank you so much for joining us on Scissoring Isn't a Thing. You are fantastic. (laughs) Honestly, we would love to offline and talk to you about all the things that you couldn't answer on this podcast, of course. You are a riveting, wonderful human being. And for those out there who want to get your book, find out more about you, where can people follow you, find you, read your work? I'm on social media. I'm Instagram is at Gabrielle Corn with a K. Um, Twitter is underscore Gabrielle Corn. And you can find the book hopefully anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for having me. This Thank was so Thank you. You are a dream. And you can find us at SIAT Podcast, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Listen to Liz. Darren is Carpe Darren. Thank you, Gabrielle. We Thank really you so appreciate much, Gabrielle. It. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. See you next Tuesday. 